I have the great privilege of talking to and learning from smart and creative and wildly interesting and inspirational people every day. And I want you to have that same experience. And so I decided to start interviewing them. And I want you to come along and listen and learn and enjoy with me. I'm your host, Phil Luce, and this is the Sample Bucket Podcast, where we learn all kinds of different things about people who own, operate, manage, and otherwise work in grain businesses. When you're young and you get married and and you find something you like to do and you enjoy it and support your family and don't mind getting up and coming to work every morning, why change, you know? Life is good when you enjoy what you do. This episode features Roger Cochran of O'Brien Grain in Northwest Tennessee. Roger grew up in farming and has never wanted to do anything else for a living, as you'll hear. He's worked in the grain business since 1982, all at one company. And uh, every conversation I've ever had with Roger is just a complete joy. He's a pleasure to talk to. He's a sensible man, a man of action, um, a kind person, and just overall a joy. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. All right, Roger Cochran, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Phil. Let's let's start off with a little bit about where you are located geographically and the company that you work for and what goes on there. We are located in uh, the northwest corner of, of Tennessee. Have three locations, been in business since 19... 76. Uh, I've been here since 1982. Wow. I have three locations. Two are on the CN Railroad. My location is not. Uh, other than that, we're just some local country elevators trying to buy grain from farmers. <laughs> Help me if I may be wrong about this, but at some point in the past, or maybe now, your grain elevator business had was attached to or had some kind of relationship with an ethanol plant. Am I, do I understand that correctly? That's correct. Um, is, that, is that still going we on made, today? We made, uh, when we got news that the uh, there was interest in building an ethanol plant locally, we decided that we wanted to know everything that was going on with it. And mm. uh, long story short, we actually sold the plant, the ground that they built the ethanol plant on. Okay. Uh, one of the farms that we owned, we sold it to them. Of course, it's changed hands several times since then, but we started out owning some of the of the ethanol plant. We don't own enough because it's like changed hands. But the ground it's sitting on was originally our ground. So. Is that a significant market then for you guys' corn? Uh, it's pretty much a hundred percent of it now, Phil. Okay. Uh, we were we were strictly river terminal, which and then. Uh, the Canadian National Railroad, those two markets were the only markets we had up until the ethanol plant come along. And 100,000 bushels a day, 365 days a year, so they used lots of corn. Plenty, yeah. I expect then, uh, again, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I I expect the area that you guys are in has has changed a lot over the years to accommodate increased production. Is that fair to say? Yes, it has. uh, we are we are right on the northern edge of what we call cotton, the cotton belt or the cotton mm-hmm. country in Tennessee. Uh, we've seen a lot of shift from from cotton acres to to the grains, especially the corn. Uh, lots of lots of additional storage has been put up by us, you know, just to accommodate mm-hmm. 
being able to feed the ethanol plant year-round, you know, um, giving us opportunities. We have roughly 11 million bushels of storage, I mean, the three places, excuse me. Do you handle soybeans and wheat there, too? Soybeans, uh, then soft red winter wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, my location is pretty much the only one that handles much wheat. The other two locations, just their geography and their customer base just doesn't grow a lot of weed. I mean, I'll, but soybeans were all pretty much, soybeans and corn were all pretty much neck and neck. I mean, it just depends on the crop rotation and for our areas. But, and we're not that far apart. I mean, 15 miles is the furthest one away, and the other one's about seven or eight miles. But we means... we are strategically in different geographical locations. Gotcha, yep. I mean, was it a, did all three locations have been with the company since it started or at some point did you buy out another business or how did that come about? We, my location, we merged with, my location merged with a company that we're now part of now, Obine Grain back in mm-hmm. 1998, okay. which we all, we all started, Obine started in 76 and so did Mason Hall Grain, which Mason Hall is where I worked. Uh, but we had a common stockholder that presented the idea with them to just merge the two companies together. Back then, we were in the retail business. Uh, both companies were in the retail business, and it made a lot of sense on that standpoint to, to merge the two companies. And it was, a, it was a good thing for Mason Hall because it gave me access to the CN Railroad. Uh-huh. And, um, and then, so we... We rolled along with that until 2015, and then we sold our retail business and just stayed in the grain. And then in, uh, I think now, 2020, December of 2019, we bought the third location from from the Andersons. Gotcha. When you say retail business, you mean agronomy, fertilizer, and that kind agronomy, of thing? Agronomy, fertilizer, or? seed, chemicals, yep. custom okay. application, we, we had the full gamut. You didn't have like a store that sold rubber boots and. No, no, we didn't do all that. <laughs> if it had anything to do with growing a crop, though, we did. We, I got gotcha. you. We had. What, what was the what was behind the decision to get out of the retail business? Well, it was it. It, it was really tough in our ear on independence. You know, trying to compete with the nationals. I mean, we just couldn't stay on the same playing field in the retail business. I mean. I mean, let's face it, we were having to buy most of our inputs from those nationals that were out here selling to the same farmer that we were. Mm, yep. And and it just made it tough. I mean, it, it, and we had the opportunity and, and just felt like it was time and hadn't looked back since, really. You know, we don't miss that market. Miss it at all. Now, granted, it did give us some... Being in the grain and the retail business had its advantages. You know, you could do a lot of stuff, and you could offer a lot of perks, and you know, and, and do things that way. Uh, but we don't miss the the hassle of being in that retail. It's just tough. Sure. Tough on a on a on a on a on, a, on the help situation, if nothing else. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, you're working year round instead of seasonal. That hasn't gotten any easier here lately. I wouldn't think. No, it has not. So you tell me about how you ended up where you are back in 1982. How did that come about? Well, I guess let, let's let's back up even further than that. Are you a 
Northwestern Tennessee native, or did you come there from somewhere else? I'm I'm born and raised in Northwest Tennessee. Grew up within 15 miles of where where okay. I live right now. Been around, been in farming all of my life, or in the farming industry. I mean, grew up on a family farm. Granddaddy milked cows. When I was little, I stayed with him, and then I got old enough. You know, we raised livestock, hogs, cattle, sheep, goats. You name it, we had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my dad actually traded livestock. Was was, a, and then we had we farmed a few acres, and if if anybody out there is old enough to remember what the interest rates were in the <laughs> late 70s, early 80s, you understand why this 18-year-old back then was not farming today. And I had the opportunity to come to work here, and and I could stay as close to farming as I could without actually being farming, and I've enjoyed this side of the business. I'm still involved with farming. I mean, still, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, I just there just wasn't no way for a young man to get started back in the early '80s farming. So. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a challenge people are looking at right now, uh, even before interest it rates. It certainly is. Yeah, even before the interest rates came back up, it uh, seemed like just the expense, the sheer expense of land and equipment and everything else that you need to get well, it going. It just takes it? so much working capital. I mean, yep. it just takes lots of money. So what did you start doing back in 1982, 18 years old? Unloading corn <laughs> and driving a line truck. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started here in 82, we had uh, a couple of custom application trucks, mainly mainly a line business, really. It wasn't, wasn't that big in the fertilizer at that point in time. And then we had one little 3,000 bushel on our leg and, and a 125-pound bushel of storage. But we made it work. Most everything that, that come in was on a gravity flow trailer or 200-bushel bob truck, or maybe even a pickup, you know. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got a picture in my office of of the of the fall I started here, and there's actually two pickups in that picture that were here with a load of grain on them. How, how do you unload a pickup? Well, we had a we had a, a lift or a hoist okay, that sure, you yeah. pulled yeah. pulled it up on, and you could raise it up back in uh, those days, which you don't even see those no more now. Uh, not too often, but I uh, we do have a couple of customers. I'm trying to remember where they are that uh, that still unload trucks that way. But it's definitely not as common as it as it once was. How, how many yeah. bushels of corn fits in a pickup? Oh, about fifty or sixty. Say, <laughs> 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 take a little bit to get a whole farm off. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. What, what was that? But was you a, know, when they were shelling with two and three row corn headers or four row was a big one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot different than it is now. What was it? What was an acre of corn yielding back then? Uh, back then for us, I mean, if we, if we made 120 bushel, yeah. we were doing really, really good. What's that number now? Beans. Oh, Phil, we're in, I'm going to say we're averaging, you know, 175 to 180. I mean, mm. And that we we are so dependent on moisture. Yep. You know, I mean, if we the big change for us has been varieties. I mean, it, it's just because I've seen it. I mean, I from growing up on the farm and then being in the retail and all the way through now. I mean, ground that we planted ten years ago that 
we, when he made 150 bushel, we thought, man, we're doing really good, you know. And nowadays with the varieties that we have, especially in corn, I mean, you can make 200. Get the range at the right time. We don't have extreme heat. But I, I would so think the, I think you've probably already answered this, but I, I would think you're in an area that doesn't do much irrigation. Is that fair to say? Uh, we don't do a terrible lot. I, I mean, back in 12, 2012, it really hmm. took off and, and and you drive around, you see a lot of pivots, but it's not a big percentage of the acres. I mean, it's it's less than ten percent of the acres here, yeah, which is pretty right. substantial going from nothing to that. You know, yeah. we were nothing. Yeah. You know, but I mean, still, it, it's still not not a big percentage of the acres. There aren't too many people that I know in the grain business who've. Well, I, I guess that's not. Let me back up. Maybe it's somewhat generational, but it it seems like. Um, if you've if if I've met someone in the grain business who's in their 30s, they've had maybe two or three elevator jobs by now. But if you meet someone who's been around since the 70s or 80s, you know, more likelihood I think that that they've had been at the same place or maybe just had one or two jobs over that whole span of time. Uh, I guess in your case, what do you attribute that to? You've you've been at at the same place for let's see 20. Uh, 42 40, years. 41 40, years. 40. 40, yeah, 41. Yep, that's 41. <laughs> that's yeah. not my strong point, but I was getting around to it. So <laughs> I have to think every now and then. Yeah, 41 years. Uh, you know, I don't know, Phil. I mean, when you're young and you get married and, and you find something you like to do and you yeah. enjoy it and supporting your family and don't mind getting up and coming to work every morning. Why change, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean, and, and like I said, I'm as close to farming as I can get without actually being farming, you know. And I, I, I get to to deal with a lot of good people and 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 have that kind of camaraderie and 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 friendships. And it just it, I just enjoy what I do. And it sounds like you're not the kind of guy who's inclined to move around a lot. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm a, I'm a homebody. Doesn't a lot of things don't excite me. I mean, as far as getting out and going or doing different things. I mean, like I said, I mean, this is all I've ever done other than than grow up on the family farm. So if you live in my in life, paradise. And it, it'll continue to be as long as the Lord lets me. I guess if you if you live in paradise and you're happy there, there's not much reason to. Uh, you're exactly right. Sir. <laughs> Get around. I had to. I'm not really sure why this happened, but um, we we moved around quite a lot when I was a little kid. I actually lived in Tennessee right before we moved here to Florida. I lived over in eastern Tennessee, Crossville. And um, uh, we moved around a lot, a whole lot. And then we moved to Florida. And uh, and even once we got here, moved around in the inside the county quite a bit, different houses and stuff. And then my wife and I got married in 1995, and we've... We started a little apartment, then we had a little house, and we bought a slightly bigger house. But all those houses are inside about a mile and a half circle. <laughs> so I think, I guess I've found my spot too. Not, not well, too I mean, I, to go like far. I said, I mean, I, I'm within 15 miles of where I grew up, and and we've been in the house. We built the house we're living in now back in '96. We lived in two other places before then that were within two or three miles of where we built this house. So. Mm-hmm. I've been right here ever since. Ever since graduating high school, I mean, I didn't go to college. 
feel. I mean, a lot of people look at me like I'm, how'd you do that? You know, well, I just, college wasn't going to be my thing, you know, and I'm just mm-hmm. a self-taught, thanks to people like Weiss Commercial that, you know, taught me the grain business and, and the retail business wasn't that hard to, to figure out. I mean, I am a certified crop advisor. So I took that test back whenever it first come out oh, and, and have kept that certification ever since. And But, you know, I, I just, I got out of high school. It's, it's funny. When I was in school, I always told my friends I had three three goals in life, and that was to marry the first girl I ever dated, <laughs> start going to church because we didn't go to church, and for her not to have to work. Well, I've accomplished two of those. I married the first girl I ever dated, and I go to church, but she still has to work. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, you know, but like I said, I mean, I, life is good when you enjoy what you do. Mm. Oh, and, and and you don't you don't find a better group of people than than the American farmer. You know, I don't care whether it's West Tennessee or or Northern Iowa or South Dakota or wherever. I mean, that's just that's just a good bunch of people. You get to be associated with that. And yeah, I, I tell people all the time that I feel I have always felt very privileged to work with the people that I get to work with. Because right. I, I, I do, do know, too. I do know people that are very successful that don't enjoy their customers. They enjoy the money, maybe, but they don't enjoy the customer relationships. And I and I haven't right. done that, but it, it doesn't seem doesn't seem like something I'd want to do. I really, I when people ask what I do for a living, it's it's hard to explain uh, to someone who's not in the industry for sure. But I always come around to some version of where we get to help a bunch of really nice and productive people make their businesses a little better. We certainly that's do. A, that's we get a, that opportunity every day. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. I've, I've, yes, it I is. Could, I've, I've, I'm kind of like you. I've done this since I was 19 years old, so I don't have a lot of frame of reference for other things, but, but I'm, I'm not looking for other things either. I'm, I'm very happy. Well, I'm not either. I mean, I'm just, I'm just not looking for it. What about your kids? Are your, your kids in agriculture or they found other things to do? I've got three boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think how old they are. Oldest one's thirty five. Little one's thirty twenty six. Okay. Uh all my boys worked here during school, you know, obviously. Oh, and and my oldest one is still in agriculture. He he is owner partner in a um GPS type consulting business. Uh, they sell a lot of GPS equipment. Okay. They do a lot of soil sampling recommendation type stuff independently you know uh, they uh sell some equipment some regular equipment they are a uh, dealer for a, a company out of brazil that builds aluminum headers things like that so he's still involved in agriculture every day you know mm-hmm. and, and i knew he would be from from the get-go and then my middle one is in the ministry in louisville kentucky the job at the church up there she's not the pastor but he does preach some i mean and then my youngest one actually does work here for me. Logan okay. works here for me and really enjoys it. Uh, just took a big interest in it, you know, and, and that's part of the plan. I mean, I've always felt like I hadn't done my job. If if, if I don't have somebody here to take my place, if, if something were to happen to me, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, Logan is, is stepping in. I mean, he's still got lots to learn, you know. 
but he, he wants to learn and he's interested in it. So that's where we are. That's, that's pretty cool. I'm, uh, I have a 22 year old daughter that's about to graduate college here next month. And, um, I, I've tried to teach her to be an independent minded person and a problem solver and you know, to, to say yes to opportunities and adventure when they arise. And also I've created a fear for myself that she, she's going to run off and live somewhere far away. So, uh, that'll be okay if it happens, but I'll, I have, I have a dream that she'll want to stay right here where we raised her and do whatever she's going to do right around here. But I hope, uh, anyway, whatever she ends up doing, I, I want her to be well, I mean, happy and safe I, doing I, it. I understand completely where you're coming from. Cause I mean, I, I got my son that lives in Louisville. Yep. Of course, long story short, he, he played football in high school and, and had the opportunity to play football in college. Oh, wow. And then he got to college. He, uh, that's when the Lord started working with him, and he got really involved in FCA. Started going to some FCA's Fellowship of Christian yep. Athletes, yep. and uh, he started going up in Kentucky to some some FCA meetings. I mean, he met this little redheaded girl up there mm-hmm. <laughs> and fell in love, which is fine, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. But it, it, it's tough when you got two grandsons that are four hours away, you know. I, you know, but but you know, it's like I told my wife. I mean, you can't. You can't stand in the way of God's plan if that's what God's got intended for him and his family. That's that's fine. I mean, they did live in Indianapolis for for two years, so they're at least they're two hours closer than they were. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that that's what I think probably what you want more than anything is for your kids to be in the right place, doing the right thing, whatever that is. Well, exactly. You're exactly right, Phil. I mean, it's, you can, you can teach them all you all you can, but I mean, you just you just gotta hope and pray that. That they wind up doing what they want to do, you know, and hopefully they will. So when your kids were younger, you guys spent a significant amount of time in sports and that kind of thing, I guess? Yes, we did. I mean, of course, they all play baseball yeah. in, the, uh, in the summer leagues here local. Uh, the oldest one didn't play. He didn't play anything when he got to high school. He did golf a little bit. My middle one, Zach. Zach weighed ten pounds when he was born, and he ain't mm. never looked back since then. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I tell everybody, I tell everybody, you know, I, I'm about five foot eight, and I got three sons that are both six, that are all three six three or bigger, taller. Wow. You know, and my wow. wife's just about five eleven, and I don't know where they got their height. I'm the shortest <laughs> person in my family, but I mean, <laughs> uh, by by a long shot, too. Yeah, and. Uh, but Zach just he had a he had a passion for for football and and played it and then of course Logan Logan didn't play he did play his freshman year but he decided football one for him and took up golf and now actually he's gotten pretty good at golf I mean so he's still playing golf which is something that stuck with him so hmm. well a big boy like that can probably hit the ball a mile oh or two. Lord yes yeah and of course we were all avid hunters you know. Hmm. Deer, duck, turkey. I mean, Logan's already killed two turkeys this year. Zach doesn't have as much time to hunt or the opportunity to hunt as he used to, but I mean, he still loves it. And Kurt doesn't either, but I mean, Logan still manages to get away and go. Now, do you guys, what, what's your preference? You like to rifle or bow or black powder or all of it? or what, what, We did the... it all. Yeah, We do it all <laughs> from A to Z. 
if, if my preference is rifle, hmm. you know, and I and I and the boys probably are too. So we did bow hunt. We don't bow hunt there as much because it's just tough on. It was always tough to bow hunt in during yeah. the fall, yeah. being in the in the grain industry. So. Yeah, that's a that's a tough job for grain people, uh, or a tough go for grain people who are also hunters. <laughs> the, yep, is some of those seasons are pretty hard up against harvest time, and the, you could you, you couldn't go hunting early, and you couldn't go crappie fishing if you were in the retail in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget being in Missouri, and this was not in the fall; it was probably in the summer, I guess, or I'm not I don't remember for sure what time of year it was. Honestly, maybe the spring. Anyway, we went to see this little elevator in northeastern part of missouri and the only person on the property was a lady in the office and that that's just seemed unusual for the middle of the day on a tuesday or whatever it was so we anyhow we went in there and said hey we're here to see so and so and don't look like anybody's here she said yeah somebody shot a big buck and everybody left to go score it Pretty that's cool. Just the way it is. Yeah, that's pr- pretty cool. And of course, you can't pull yep. that off in October, but you could do it. I, I don't know. We were probably there in April or May or something. I don't remember. Yeah. For sure. Do you guys uh, like to go out west and hunt like that, or you you stay local pretty much? We stay local. Oh, we stay local. We got plenty of opportunities around here to hunt, especially duck hunting and, mm, yeah, and deer yeah, hunting, yeah. too. I mean, we got lots of state ground. That the deer get pretty plenty big. Plenty of deer. So, I mean, it's just. Is there a, a size difference in Tennessee deer and a Illinois deer or Colorado deer? Oh yeah, yeah. The our deer here in Tennessee are not near as big as even okay. Kentucky. I mean, okay. And especially Illinois. So we got a smaller deer. I don't know if that's a southern doesn't thing. Doesn't have as big a racks. Yeah. But I mean, they're still. I mean, the trope is what you make of it. I mean, it doesn't have to be huge deer. I mean, mature deer. You get to go sit around in the woods either way, right? So that's that exactly right. It is exactly right. What else when you're when you're not working? What else do you guys like to get up to? I think Jason or or somebody told me you're a deacon. Yeah, I'm a deacon at church. the church. Yeah. Deacon at the church. We'll make it to St. Louis to the ball game every now and then. Okay. Watch watch um, St. Louis Cardinals play baseball. We'll make it to Knoxville if we can. If we make it, you know, to watch a UT football game. Sure. Uh, if if we're not there, we got it on TV every every Saturday, and so we do we do follow the basketball and the baseball too. Some we never we've been to a basketball game. We haven't been to a baseball. That's wow. about it, Phil. I mean, nowadays my oldest son has he has two daughters, which when me and my wife having three boys when mm-hmm. when that the first grandbaby was a a girl so you can imagine how it is at my house i mean she just rules the roost you know yeah. and then they just got through having another one uh but she angley is eight months old so we get they got two little girls and then the one that lives in louisville's got two little boys i don't know but if those what... two little girls certainly have their grandmother wrapped around their finger yeah, I don't know what kind of grandparents you guys are. Raising but... five, four boys, <laughs> me, <laughs> me included. <laughs> my my mom, we used to have the one daughter, and uh, my mom was kind of spoiling her a little bit, and I I made some comment about that. This is years ago now, when she was younger, and and my mom's philosophy on being a grandmother was that she raised me, and 
It wasn't her job to raise my child. <laughs> she was going to spoil her. So I just, That's uh, pretty much what, the attitude we took, Phil. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, what can you do? You know, I. what can you do? We, we just let it happen. Um, let's see here. I've got some kind of kind of uh, quick draw questions here for you. See where we go with those. And the first right. one is, I, you, you've had a pretty pretty significant length of career in the grain business, so I'm curious what the what some big changes that you've seen in your time in the industry. Oh, we've kind of we've kind of covered some of those a little bit. Increased production, obviously, and and uh, bin, storage bins are are new. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I'm just curious what you what you think some things are very different now than they were in 1982. Well, I mean, we did cover that because, you know, we laugh a lot of times. Uh, we talk about it. We don't laugh. But, I mean, mm. back in 82, you know, we'd have a line, you know, a half a mile long waiting to get on the scales, mm. you know, because it would be, I mean, it, just like I said, I mean, it'd be four or five pickups, 10 bob trucks, and, 20 gravity flow trailers, you know, yep. they all be lined up trying to get on the scale, you know, and you, you dump a hundred truck or a hundred tickets in a day and maybe dump 25, 30,000 bushels, you know, especially mm-hmm. with a little 3,000 bushels on our leg, you know, and nowadays we'll, we'll dump the same amount of tickets, but we'll dump 10 times the bushels because it's yeah. all in 1,500 bushel uh, hopper bottom trailers. So the biggest change that, that I would say the biggest change in our industry around here, the biggest change wise, is just the speed and and the efficiency that they they plant the crop and they get it out. Yeah. I mean, I had a guy, uh, twenty three, been in twenty one in the fall of twenty one. One day it rained everybody out, but him. He's shelling with two combines and he was shelling fifteen thousand bushel of corn an hour. Wow. You know, by himself, one person. I mean, I'm not, his operation. Yeah, yep. You know, I mean, he literally had a truck sitting on my pit the whole day by himself. Because he just, he he just in the head, one little old spot, didn't get no rain, and he could chill corn. But, I mean, that that's the biggest, and that's a challenge nowadays. Uh, You know, they can just do so much so fast, and, you know, for, for elevators like us just to be able to keep up. I mean, we all know what the story is with logistics now. I mean, you, it's just a nightmare trying to get stuff moved out. You know, in a, in a, in the in the in the speed that they bring it in anyway. Yep. And so that's why that's why storage has had to go up and you've had to see those changes. Yeah, that's a, that's pretty much a universal story. You no, know, in any geography you want to name is that there's a pressure, and probably a good pressure, but a pressure to keep up with dump speed and leg speed and everything else, because this this stuff comes in awfully quick. Well, you know, when you, when you when you say that, because I told you when I started out with a three thousand bushel on our leg and mm. one hundred twenty seven thousand, you know, bushel of storage. Then right after we first merged with O'Bine, we built another hundred thousand bushel bin, and I thought, well, my gosh, I got plenty of room now, you know, <laughs> you know, and then in in. In 2001, we made the decision to put up two 400,000 bushel bins. And my wife will tell you this to the day of me coming home and her, I said, I won't never need no more storage. <laughs> you know, and, and I've since put up three more 400,000 bushel bins and a, a 1,750,000 bushel flat storage. 
you know, since then. Wow. Oh, I mean, you know, and I do have a ground pile that I use in emergencies, but that's only only emergencies. But I mean, it, it's just—I mean, it, it's just the way the, the 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 game has changed. I mean, it's just that's a we, we certainly know how to produce a crop. We certainly do. I mean, we certainly do. And that's Most, go ahead. That's the joy of, of again about being in this business have that opportunity yeah absolutely what was uh, uh kind of along similar lines what, what was a change that came to your business or the industry in general that you were concerned about that turned out to be okay change that come that i was concerned about and maybe you weren't concerned about anything I, out of, you know uh, i guess the biggest concern was the fact that you you deal back in when i started here Phil, we probably had 100 customers Mm-hmm. And now, you know, seventy-five percent of my business comes. From, that's the big change to me. I mean, you you went from dealing with a bunch of small farmers to a yep. bunch of mega farmers. I mean, and that's not a bad in a sense. I'm not not saying it negatively. It's just it's just the nature of the beast. Mm. But that's scary when the fact that you know you look at your numbers and and. You got two people bringing you over half of your product, half the bushes you buy. Goodness, wow! You know, and and it's scary. What you, you ask yourself, what happens? What happens if I lose one of them? I guess that's to me. A pre- that's the scariest thing. I mean, yep. It's a pretty strong motivation to have good relationship there. I guess. Oh Lord, yes. That does seem to be the way things go over time. Is there are fewer elevators, fewer farmers, fewer. Uh, end users, I think, in some ways, although that, that kind of comes and goes, I guess, the end user part of it. Well, I mean, it it is. I mean, when, you know, starting back in the end, I mean, there was, used to, this this area had had a feed mill in every little town, and now it's not oh. even a, feed, a local feed mill here in this area anymore. But, you know, I'm talking about, a, you know, that a farmer goes to. Yeah, yep. So, uh, we have a big hog farmer here just where i mean yeah east of me got the pies and chickens they have two two processing and two females local but no 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 you know every farmer had cattle or, or some kind of livestock back in the day and, and those local females were always needing corn you know mm-hmm. we're buying corn from the, the local elevator you just don't have that anymore it's interesting. There's a there's a lot of concern. I mean, since I got in this business, I think, which again was the mid '90s, there's been a lot of concern about whether or not the country grain elevator is needed as farms get bigger and so on. Uh, but your story is just like many others, most others that I've heard, which is you're adding space, adding speed all the time, and and can't hardly keep up with how much you're needed. You're right. So I'm very encouraged by the fact that the country elevator, despite uh, a lot of talk to the contrary still appears to be a very necessary part of the industry. Well, I mean, we when we get together and meet as as a company group, you know, mm-hmm. we had our we don't have titles per se, Phil. We mm-hmm. just work, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I might go unload a truck, you know. Yeah, yep, Maybe, yep. That's just the way we are. But we we we've got an accountant, a retired accountant that sort of serves. I call him our CFO, you know, mm. and and he asked the question one time, you know, what is our goal? What is our purpose? You know, what do, what do we do? 
you know, and and I thought about that for a long time, you know, you know, because I didn't really, you know, what do we do? Well, we provide a service for our farmers, you know, to have a place to market their grain, you know, to harvest their crop, to get it out of the field, you know, we provide that service. That's that's all we are. We're a service provider. Mm-hmm. And then we turn around and provide a service to the end user too. I mean, we we provide that ethanol plant corn when they need corn, or 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 when the Tyson chicken plants is, you know, they've called before and need corn. I mean, we provide them a service too. I mean, so I don't I don't see the local grain elevators going anywhere. I mean, I just really don't. Yeah, I don't either. I'm in fact I'm betting on it in a big way. Uh, but it's, I think you're right. What it comes down to is there are the end user of grain needs service and the grower of grain needs service. And in many cases, those needs are not well aligned. So you need someone, need some third party who can serve the interest of both of those parties and create a win, win, win situation. And I think our markets, our markets efficient enough not to allow third parties to exist where they're not adding something. So I agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. As long as we're as long as we're adding value and we get to exist, I like it. All right, switching gears here a little bit. Uh, we've established you're a homebody, but what's some place that you think everyone should visit if they get the opportunity? Oh wow! And, and is it Northwest Tennessee? Oh, <laughs> uh, I think if you've never been there, you need to go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Okay, that's probably my favorite place to go. I mean, we do go there, Phil. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't stay at home all the time. But if my wife asked me where I want to go for vacation or somewhere, I, I, that's where I'm going to pick. I mean, of course, my wife is just like any other lady. She wants to go to the beach, and I absolutely hate the beach. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, but I go when when she wants to go. Well, we yep. don't go that often. But, I mean, uh, Gatlinburg is, 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 a, is a unique place as far as, I mean, it's something for everybody to see. Yeah, and the Smoky Mountains. I'm fully on board with you there. If if you haven't seen yeah. the Smokies, you ought to, you ought to go. Yeah. That's for sure. Yep, I agree. What do you think that you would be doing if you weren't doing the same thing you've done since you were 18 years old? God, Phil, you asked a hard one there. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. don't know what I'd be doing. Harder you for know? you than most people because you've you've got a pretty pretty good tenure built up of of doing one I, thing. Actually, you and I have I, that in common. I've been doing this since I was 19. I honestly, I honestly don't know that I. I would be satisfied doing anything that wasn't involved with agriculture in some way, form, or fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I like to tinker on my models mechanically. My, you know, I ain't gonna say I was a mechanic, but I mean, I could take stuff apart and put it back together and things like that. Growing up, you know, rebuild a little gasoline motor or whatever, you know. Sure. But it was still, I mean, it, it was if I was doing something like that, it would still be involved with agriculture. You know, yeah. it, it would just, you just, once you get agriculture in your heart, it's not leaving. It's just, it's in your blood. Uh, as I'm going through these interviews, I always try to think about little sound bites that I can put at the beginning. And uh, you give me so many, I'm running out of room to write them down, <laughs> write them down here. <laughs> It'd be hard to pick one. Uh, okay, here's another maybe tough one. If if you had to, if you were told today that you have to move, you can't live in Northwest Tennessee anymore. Where would you go? Huh. I go. I would. I could see myself 
in in one of the I states. Okay. Probably Iowa. It would be in an agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't think I would go south because I'm not a fan of heat. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I'd say it gets I, I, one of the hottest days of my whole life was in Memphis, Tennessee. So I, I got to. I don't that, doubt that a bit. <laughs> get hot enough. Get hot enough where you are. I don't doubt that a bit. That's pretty good. One last question: uh, If you were talking to 18-year-old Roger that was starting his career in the grain business back in 1982. Uh, what advice would you have for that guy? Well, that's a hard one to pinpoint too, Phil. And I, you know, honestly, you think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always tell myself, you know, there's a lot of things I wish I'd change, but there's a lot of things. When if you change something, would you still be where you're at today? Mm, yep. Yep. And and I always ask myself that question, but I mean. I would tell my, the first thing I would tell my 18-year-old self was, you need to go to college. Oh. And and I think an education would have would have helped me, Phil. Not that I, I think I would have been any smarter. I think I would have just been able to grasp a lot of things a lot quicker. Hmm. And the second thing uh, I would probably tell myself is is to take more time for your family. Uh, we all know this industry's tough. You know, you work a lot of hours, uh, and and when you look back, you know, and your kids are grown, and and where did time go? You think, I mean, but you don't get that time back, Phil. That's right. Uh, so uh, I think that that would cover the two two most important things for for my eighteen year old self. Yeah, that's a. I have a somewhat of a similar story that um, I started working here when I was 19 and I was at community college and and there was no easy way to finish. So I had to decide, do I keep on working at this place? That seems like someplace I'd like to be for a while, or do I leave that and go off to college somewhere? And I I chose to stick around and uh, I went back to college when I was 30 years old to finish up and I had a full-time job and a family and I don't recommend that. I recommend that either. That was, I understand what you, you know. That was pretty hard. My 18 year old self, here, here, you know, back in the day when I graduated high school, you had to have 18 credits to a minimum of 18 credits mm. to graduate high school. Well, old, old Roger here had 18 credits. My junior year, I had two classes other than that class. I had English and American history. And then I, each, each class was an hour, and then I had a two-hour ag class. And then, of course, I living on a farm and in farming, my ag teacher let me go home. You know, if we were if we were in the field or needed mm. something to do, he let me go home. Sure. I stayed in the ag shop the rest of the time if it was raining or something. I mean, he let me just hang out out there and, and work on projects or help him with class or whatever. And did the same thing my senior year. I mean, I had English and economics my senior year and had a two-hour ag class, and then I, I went home if I wanted to. So, I mean, I... I didn't want to go to school, <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but I see the value in it now. Yeah. You know, yeah. hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, but back in back when I was eighteen, you know, I, all I thought I wanted to do was sit on a, on a forty three twenty John Deere tractor and plow <laughs> a field. You know, yeah. Well, your uh, your prefrontal cortex or something wasn't all the way developed, developed yet. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're exactly right. 
I will say I was a much better student at age 30 than I was at 17 or 18, but uh, it's, it's just a little hard to do all that at once, but I, I'm, I'm with you. There. Well, it's funny you say that, it, it, and of course, I, I, and I did all right in school, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, I got a prime example of that. What you just said is my middle son, the one that loved football, mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing he studied in high school was football. He didn't, you know, he, he, he struggled with his grades. I mean, to be honest with you, he struggled making a, a good enough ACT score or whatever that, it, you know, SAT yeah. score, whatever it is, to, to get him into college to play football. And 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 then I'd be darned if he don't get in college. And, and of course, it's just the Lord working and, and got him interested in, in learning. And he made better grades in college than he made in high school. <laughs> and my oldest son about pulled his hair out because he couldn't make his good grades in college <laughs> that he made in high school. You know, so it's just everybody's different, Phil. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. I think uh, I agree with you 100% that an education is a valuable thing, but there's we learn more and more that there are lots of ways to get an education. I think you and I were fortunate well, enough to get thing, one in Phil. the workforce. I, mean, I tell everybody that I say experience is the best teacher you'll have. And, you know, I, I, and if going to college would have changed where I'm at today, I, I don't know that I'd have wanted to go to college, as I said earlier. But, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Hopefully, we all learn a little something every day of our lives. You know? That's right. Yeah, that's that's a that sounds like a perfect way to wrap things up, Roger. It's been, as always, every time I speak with you, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor, and I certainly appreciate you taking some time to do this with me today. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity, Phil. Like I told you when you called me, I didn't know if you want old country boy from West Tennessee on your podcast or not. <laughs> But I appreciate the opportunity, and 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 it's been a a a blessing to be a part of the White Commercial Group ever since 2019. I mean, just I wish we'd have been there earlier. Just to be honest with you. Well, I'll bring say a lot of value to the table to people like us. I appreciate that, um, but it's it's certainly a two way street. I've I've benefited a lot from well, getting, to know, getting to know you, and we're we're very happy to be able to. That's the do way some with all our businesses. I mean, that's right. That's what I tell my guys that work for us. I mean, if if those guys bringing those trucks up here ain't coming up here, I don't need y'all. We got <laughs> to have them. Yeah, know? that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, and, and, and you provide a service that we need, and we provide a service that they need. And it's just, we're all just pieces of a big old puzzle, Phil. Mm. You know, hopefully fit together pretty good. Yes, sir. All right. Enjoy your weekend, Roger. Again, I really you appreciate too, you taking time for me. Yes, sir. Appreciate the opportunity. Take care. Bye.